0: Welcome to Interruption Podcast, where we have heartfelt and sacred discussions about our culture, faith traditions, and community. We invite guests who are open and willing to share their journey and disrupt the silence on their personal and professional interruptions that have impacted their lives as it relates to emotional wellness. Coach Kathy and I are passionate about every episode and committed to providing an actionable advice that you can apply today to reinvent yourself on your journey and encourage you to develop a path toward healing. I am one of your co-hosts, Reverend O
1: and evidently i am coach kathy (laughs) so thank you for the new handle i love it i love it listen you get
0: certifications you get training you coach kathy oh how are you i'm good yourself good good
1: so it is back to the two of us
0: yes it is
1: it's uh it's what it's almost a year now right We Uh, have to have a celebration
0: Almost. It's about a year. we got to start, start celebrating our anniversary <laughs> on right. our first podcast.
1: <laughs> well, around this time, I would be welcoming our guests to our podcast this evening. But guess what? You are my guest this evening. <laughs> so welcome, Reverend Odell. <laughs> well, thank you, Coach
0: Kathy, for having me. <laughs>
1: Well, there's a purpose behind why we are having yes. you as the guest because a lot has happened since we started this podcast. Yes. You wrote a book, and I have it right here interruptions. So make sure that you go on to Amazon and you can order the book um, or call Reverend O'Dell and she'll make sure you get a book. And That's then right. <laughs> and I also, can
0: autograph it. You, you can
1: autograph it. That's and right. And even if you it order on me. an Amazon, call her and she'll meet you to autograph it. Right. (laughs) And then uh, we also have your, I got to get it right in the camera, right? We also have your training and we're going to talk a little bit about that first, but first we uh, talk about that um, as we are going through our podcast, but I want to go back to the book and talk a little bit about that what prompted you during everything everything um to write a book you had started the podcast and and then one day I get a call from you and say hey I wrote a book and so (laughs) I I don't know who does that who just calls you and say hey not that you were writing a book you called and said hey I wrote a book and so what prompted that the writing of
0: that book it was Jonathan Berryman and Reverend Anderson, when we did the production and we're still telling stories, uh, trying to get 90 minutes of what stories to tell in the production, Jonathan said, oh, that's a good story. You got to put that in the book. Lisa says, yeah, yeah, that goes in the book. And I'm like, I'm not writing a book. I'm just working on this production. Um, they called it, Jonathan called it. He says, you've got to write a book because there's so much more to tell and then i had coaches along the way and one of them was uh, the the dr stephen southwick he said that if you write a book you have to talk about resilience he says because you're resilient but you didn't talk about it enough so that's the book
1: oh okay now you said you had coaches i'm I'm taking notes as you're you're talking Uh, and and what does that mean what does that mean
0: people coaching me through I've never written a production before, I never market one or produced one. So I'm applying for grant funding. I'm putting the correct artsy language in there. I'm, I'm mentioning the right people. How do you present this to funders to be funded when I'm not in the art world? You know, I'm not known in the art world. That's not my space that I live in so if i'm producing a play it's like well who is she where did this come from Mm -hmm. and why do you need funding what is your production about and then to talk about interruptions in the midst of the pandemic
1: and yeah and then i can't believe i forgot about that that even before the book you did write a production so that all happened after We started the podcast.
0: Yes. So the book came after the podcast. You and I were doing a podcast in between the production. And I said, I was writing, I was trying to figure out how to write a book and then funding shifted in the midst of the pandemic because people had needs, needs of food, rent, um, expenses, utility. So any grant company or funder shifted all the money Every grant application that was out there prior to the pandemic was canceled
1: mm-hmm.
0: and they had to give money to people to, to actually live. And then mm-hmm. it wasn't until later that I could submit a grant for the book and the workbook and the production.
1: There was a lot going on.
0: There was a lot and I had to learn a lot. So it's not a space that I lived in. So I had some very good coaches um, helping me along the way, te- advising me what to do. Mm-hmm. Alice Forrester um, with Clifford Beers was one. We had our ho- we had a guest on Anola Ayer. She was coaching me along the way. Uh, Reverend Streets. So it's you know do this, say this. I'll help you out with this, and and that's what I was doing. Those are my coaches. One of the
1: things um, that you said though, in terms of when you had your aneurysm, is that you're not supposed to get overwhelmed or allow correct. yourself to. So how did you do that in writing a book and doing a production? Why did you not get overwhelmed?
0: Oh, I did. I okay. I I, I could only be on the computer for 20 minutes a day um, other than being extremely overwhelmed with a headache and I was taking literal I mean English classes, I guess, to learn how to read and write online when COVID happened at Southern. So I'm learning how to read and write. And then the publisher is sending me chapters to edit. And what she did was she sent me 13 pages at a time. And within those 13 pages, that's all that I could handle. And it took me a month to get through 13, 17 pages. Mm -hmm. And then I would send it back because after that, my mind, my brain reset itself when it got overstimulated. It's just like a computer Mm -hmm. reboot. And I forgot what I said, what I did, or what I was supposed to be doing. So I had to shut everything down 20 minutes. If I did three hours, I could only do 20 minute intervals and then walk away.
1: Can you clarify though, um, for for the audience, um, when you're saying I needed to learn to read and write, clarify what that means?
0: After I had the brain aneurysm, it damaged. Um, I had brain damage, and I literally, you know, forgot how to to write a word, type a word. Um, I didn't. My spelling was off. I was speaking, you know, fragmented. I'd start a sentence and forget what I was saying, and apparently, I was texting the same way and sending emails people like I don't know what you're talking about you didn't make sense at all in these text messages. And that's when I knew that I you no, know, it was told to me, you need to go to southern where they have a community disorder department. They work with brain damage individuals to help you, and I had to accept the fact that I had brain damage.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. You, you, you mentioned you. uh, um, I have so many questions for you. So (laughs) it's not like,
0: and it's not like you wasn't there, but it's okay. Well,
1: still, still, but um, you had obviously a lot of support in writing your book, as as you shared, because there were so many beautiful comments um, when you initially opened up your book. But one of the comments that really struck me, and you mentioned her name, Anola Ear. She wrote a testimony, and and this is what she said, Sister Odell truly turned her pain into purpose. This is a story of hope arising from grief. How do those words resonate with you?
0: They, when I read her, her acknowledgement, I honestly think I cried because she captured it. Um, You know, it's not, I need to understand what a mother's pain is like after losing a child and losing the traumatic interruption was very traumatic, um, in its sense. So, and then having a brain aneurysm on his birth date and then having the doctor say, you all stop praying for Odell because she's not going to make it. Mm -hmm. And then if she makes it, then we give her 30 days or we'll give her another 25 days, but she's not going to live past three months. Um, and those were the statistics on brain aneurysms. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for Enola to write that, that's why I put that first. And I stood hers, hers is separated from the others because it resonated with my story. And it's what Jonathan Berryman kept saying, tell your story so there's other people can find hope and healing and figure out a way to re, to rebuild their lives.
1: We had Anola as a guest on the podcast, and I don't think we asked her to, the question, but may, I'm hoping that you have the answer for it. Um, how did she first hear about your story?
0: I reached out. To, well, she heard about my story because we're friends on Facebook, Okay. and um, I knew her prior to. And when anybody saw the constant reflections and rest in peace and prayers and all of that on social media. She was my friend on social media, so she knew. We have some of the same friends, you know, same friends. So the story was out there, you know, did did you hear about Reverend Odell? You know, she's, you know, it's not gonna make it. She's at home. She's, you know, doctors don't think she's gonna live past another 30 days. So, you know, people, she was concerned and she stayed in touch with me. And then she watched, you know, me surface through social media. And then she, people didn't see me come out much. They didn't see me. I didn't see her at all because mm-hmm. um, I was at home recovering, trying to recoup. So she saw it and watched about it and, and knew from social media.
1: It's funny you say social media. One of, <laughs> um, I don't <sighs> One, uh, I, for, for me, my per, one of my personal pet peeves is when someone posts something on social media about a potential a, a tragedy that may have happened in a person's family before the family even has time to receive it. Um, And just in some some instances, even to hear the news themselves. And so someone else will go ahead and post on social media. And so in your instance, I don't know that that really occurred, but the fact that you're telling me that you communicated through social media about what had occurred, how, how did you get to the point where you were able to do that? Or were you doing it purposely? Or did you even realize that you were were doing it?
0: I was actually responding to the Facebook posts. Somebody posted, you know, young people. They post immediately, you know, rest in peace, Coop, going to miss you, you know, rest in peace. You know, it was everywhere. Mm -hmm. And not all the family members knew. And Jackie didn't know before I saw somebody posted it on social media and I asked them to take it down Mm -hmm. and until I could tell her but once people found out uh, between Jackie's age group my age group my network I was then responding to all these posts and it was just like thank you for your prayers and but I was not on social media responding to every post or what happened. The phone calls were coming in more so than me being on social media. Mm -hmm. So that was not my role to communicate my daily activities and my pain on social media.
1: So you share a message from the author. You start out by saying there was a time I had different dreams. And as it goes on, there's a recognition by you that you rediscovered God in a way that was refreshing and healing. Yes. Uh, Was this discovery part of your life journey or was it a direct result of what happened to Coop and you
0: with your aneurysm? It was a direct reflection of myself and my relationship with God. Mm -hmm. I realized that... You know, the God that I knew, I made my Bible my God versus God being bigger than my Bible. Mm-hmm. And I needed to have a different relationship with God. You know, we're taught. I was taught, um, depending on your culture and your gender, not to argue with God. Don't question God. Um, God knows everything. So if it meant to happen, it was supposed to happen. Mm-hmm. Maybe it was karma, something that you did or your ancestors did. And this is payback. I mean, everything. I received all sorts of scenarios to why I went through this traumatic interruption with my son. And it wasn't working for me. So I needed to argue with God. I said, you knew when this happened, I was going to respond this way. So I guess you can handle it. And my spiritual coaches was like, God can handle it. You know, you, you know, it's just you, uh-huh. he can handle it. So uh-huh. it helped me to develop a different relationship where I didn't have to find the rosary prayer to introduce myself and to acknowledge God. It was straight forward, angry. I was mean. I had questions and it was very different. And then when I read my Bible, I was reading it differently than I had read it before mm-hmm. because now I'm looking through the lens of trauma and mm-hmm. looking through the lens of pain. As many times as I read the Bible, I get to Genesis and I go, oh my goodness, Eve also was a mother who lost her son. Mm-hmm. You know, and They never clicked to me to putting her in that category of a mother losing her child. Mm -hmm. But she did. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And you don't see it until you're in a different lens.
1: So did you have the conversation with God first or you read the Bible first? Or did you start? I,
0: I was arguing with God. You know, why did Uh this happen? Why didn't you save my son? Where Uh were you? Uh Why, why, why? Uh And night after night after night, that was my pain that I was in. The pain that I was carrying, the grief that I was carrying was heavier, was something I've never felt before. I've grieved the, you know, losing my parents, my grandmother, but this felt very different and I couldn't explain it. And it wasn't until later that I learned that I had PTSD and the difference between grief and traumatic grief Mm -hmm. because the pain and anger that was going on inside of me was biological. Mm -hmm. PTSD took off and the depression, anxiety, anxiousness, uh, bitterness, guilt, all these negative characteristics were exploding inside of my body, and that's how I was responding without realizing that I had PTSD and had been traumatized.
1: I'm glad you said that you were, um, not that I'm glad you said it, but I'm glad you talked about it. <laughs> I'm glad that you talked about arguing with God, because I remember going through a traumatic situation myself, and, and, and that particular, it was just not a good few days and so i i felt like i dragged myself to bible study one night and and i had that conversation i said this in bible study that i was you know angry with god and couldn't yeah. understand why he was doing this to someone that i loved and and how could this happen and so the minister that was doing the bible study at the time said did you all hear what she said she said that she was angry with god he's like "Ooh," he says remember, we're not even supposed to do that. Right. He said, we're not supposed, he said, but God wants you to talk to him. He expects these kind of conversations, just as you said, he can handle it. Right. He can handle it. And so I feel like if you don't have that honest dialogue with God, then how are you going to get to the point where you did to understand that there's a different relationship that we can have now, you know, it's, it, we're we're looking at him to be our father. And so we need to be honest with him. He already knows how you feel, so you might as well say it, right? <laughs> <Yes. Yeah. laughs> and,
0: and that was the lesson that I had to learn. You know, there's no sense in saying, Oh, I'm blessed and highly favored. I'm blessed that I woke up this morning. And I'm in my right mind. I was never in my right mind after the interruption. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't going to pretend to be okay because I wasn't okay. Whatever. And there's like I'm angry. I I want, why didn't you? How come? And night after night after night and trying to cover this pain. And that's why my relationship with God is different now because I went from being angry with God to when I was in the hospital with the brain aneurysm, bargaining with God. Okay, God, can you not take me but carry the pain instead because I want to live? Mm-hmm. So if this angel is here for something, take this pain, <laughs> mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. leave me here mm-hmm. to being in a place now where I'm totally submitted to the will of God. This is who I work for, total submission. Every day, every moment, Lord, how do, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to do this? How am I to serve you today? How do we roll out interruptions? Mm-hmm. So that's been my journey. And I love this phase of submission and total commitment and following God and making sure that I, you know, God was very clear. Don't be greedy and be honest, Mm -hmm. whatever you do, tell the truth, be honest and don't be greedy. I will take care of you. Mm -hmm. And that is exactly what I have done. So do you
1: think your, if your life had continued on the path that it was, that this epiphany still would have occurred so say if you didn't have the loss and you didn't have the aneurysm do you think that you would have
0: rediscovered god in the way that you did no no i would have stayed on track with that relationship that i had and studying god from the uh scholarly level mm-hmm. and i mean we had a i had a relationship with god but it changed it became more personal because as Christians, you know, we in Jesus name, we Mm -hmm. do more talking to Jesus Mm -hmm. than we do God, but I had this as it was called a hostile theology (laughs) that I said, I'm not going to get mad at Jesus because Jesus only does what God tells him to do so it's not Jesus fault it is God. Mm-hmm. And it was almost like I went straight to the head of the class and said, Listen, I got a problem with you. <laughs> you know, I ain't messing with Jesus. You went to management, there. right? <laughs> went straight, to, straight to management. I don't want to talk to the supervisor. Don't want to see the manager. I'm knocking on the door of the CEO, and you're the one in charge. So I'm not mad at the supervisor because they're just doing what you tell them to do. And mm-hmm. that was my warped theology. Mm -hmm. and I didn't even talk to Jesus, just Mm -hmm. me and God, and it's like, oh, so you think you're grown, Uh, (laughs) (laughs) you think you're grown walking up here, but it it changed how I look at God, and Mm -hmm. God is bigger than my Bible, and when God answered my questions of why didn't you save my son, and why didn't you do this it was almost you know as, as you read in the book uh he used pa- our pastor as the vehicle to sh- send me this message mm-hmm. and you know he appeared and been like what what do you want <laughs> you know annoyed i'm like well, are you annoyed with me <laughs> you know i lost my son and you're gonna be annoyed with me and i'm like where's my son mm-hmm. and he's like duh you know minister cooper who teaches and preaches the old testament new testament give your life to christ because we want to have life everlasting where do you think your son is mm-hmm. and i was like um uh, he's like he's with me
1: mm-hmm.
0: and what else do you want and i didn't want anything else because i was so concerned so occupied so traumatized by losing my son that's all that i could think about and it was then that my relationship, God said, you need to pay attention to your daughter. And living with her, hadn't seen her. And it helped me to now focus my attention on her. Because we're both in the house grieving. Yeah.
1: And I think um, if if you can c- clarify that. So you said living with her and, and hadn't seen her. That we...
0: Yeah, we lived in this we live in the same house and I would see her in the morning. We she was at school when I was working, so she was taking classes. And so I would see her in school, I would see her when she came home, but I didn't see her. Mm-hmm. I saw her, but I was not focused on her feelings, her needs, or anything that she needed. Mm-hmm. I didn't ask her for money to pay her bills. <laughs> So she was probably happy, Um, (laughs) like, oh, she didn't ask for anything. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I just was not focused on her needs or her behavior Mm -hmm. um, during the grieving process because I was so consumed with my own pain. Mm -hmm.
1: And I can say I had a a similar um, situation while I didn't suffer a loss. For me, it felt like a loss having a daughter with special needs and so, and finding that out at a very early age. So I, it was between like her third month visit and her six month visit and her doctor at her six month visit, her Mm -hmm. doctor kept measuring her head right? And, you know, those are the fun visits, right? You want to bring the baby to the visit because you want to see how much they weigh and what they learned. And so, and then my son did everything fast. My son, they're like two and a half years apart. And my son did everything fast. He was always off the chart for everything, everything. So I, you know, it was fun for me. And then now I finally have my little girl and I was, but he kept measuring her head and I, and I noticed, and I said, why, why are you, why are you doing that? Why do you keep measuring her head? He said, well, because her head hasn't grown from her three month visit to her six month visit. And I said, but she's just tiny, you know, she was born tiny. She's just tiny. So what does that mean? He said, well, if her head is not growing, that could mean that her brain is not developing. And so we want to just watch it. And so I don't, I heard doctor's office is about 20 minutes away from my house. And when I tell mm-hmm. you, I don't remember the drive home. I, I don't remember how I, I got there. And my mother was watching my son and when she opened up the door I just exploded in tears. Mm -hmm. I I don't remember what I said I just remember seeing her and crying and that was it I lost it and so um, then from there on it was uh, she got referred to a wonderful program called Birth to Three and they send in everybody I mean they send in they send in physical therapists they send in speech therapists they send in occupational therapists and so my house just became like this terminal of yes. people going in and How out daily going? daily yeah daily right yeah. and at the same time I had a son mm-hmm. and it wasn't until like towards the end of her because you, you keep them in like birth to three right so she's getting mm-hmm. ready to turn three. And they tell me, okay, well, we have to release her from the program, and you have to start thinking about um, what school you want to send her to. And I'm like, a school? She's like barely, barely three, and you want me to send her to a school? And so I remember talking to my sister, and I said they want me to send her to a school, and when she, you know, and I'm just complaining, and she's saying, well, did you pray on it? Well, if I could have pulled my sister through that. Moment <laughs> and told her, I'm saying did I pray on I pray on it every day I pray all the time I pray she said but you keep touching it and you think you can resolve all the problems you need to really pray can't. on it and, and let and it, release go. it and let it go give it to God and so that evening I prayed I prayed I, I I tell you I prayed for about two hours and I cried and cried and cried and when I woke up that next morning I felt like I had lost 20 pounds I could see the sun I yes. recognized the day that I was in. I knew where I was, and then it was like this, like you, this epiphany. You say, "Oh my God, my son! What have I done with him?" Yes, see,
0: yes, he's there. He's you see there. Him, yes, but you don't see him. You don't see him. Yeah. He's, somebody's taking care of him. Somebody's feeding him. Had he had any needs during that time, you'd be like, "I don't know." Yeah you said a new word or you wanted something or you started doing something different, had no idea. And that's exactly what I'm talking about. Uh And it's it's unconscious that we're so focused on our, our pain consumes us. Uh And because the pain and the trauma consumes us, we don't see anybody else. And this is when people say, parents say, this is when I lost my, my parents, because mm-hmm. they had to go through a separate, you know, they had to go through a loss of a child Yes. or if you're married and the husband is grieving differently than the wife, mm-hmm. um, Jackie was saying, I lost a brother and I'm losing a mother at the same time mm-hmm. and I'm watching you fade away. So that's what it was. Yeah. Yes. Yes.
1: So I don't want to go chapter by chapter because of course okay. people are going to buy your book, right? Yes. And so, but in chapter two, there's a part where you speak about dreams being on hold. What happened? What 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 occurred there?
0: What did I do in chapter two? You think I would know my story, right? <laughs> um, <like> <laughs> <laughs> so um What did I do in chapter two? Help me out. You
1: said dreams being on hold. And I want to know what you refer to in dreams being on hold. Probably uh, if it were in chapter
0: two, it was. It says
1: uh, chapter two title interruptions, a different world.
0: Oh, a different world. Yeah, that's a
1: different world. That's right. But in the chapter, you talk about dreams being on hold.
0: Well, it, well, here's what happened. Um, a different world is that I grew up in Boston. And after high school in Boston, I went to Pratt Institute in Brooklyn, New York for two years. And in the story, you all begin to see how my cousin said, "Ah, you're wasting your life here at Pratt, having too much fun going into the city and party. You need to go to Howard. So the different world I called it after the, the TV show a different world because I hit a HBCU campus and lost my mind.
1: <laughs> Maybe that's why your dreams are on hold, because you had no business.
0: <laughs> but while I'm there, my mother has cancer and dreams being on hold. She passed or well, she passed away my junior year. And it was twofold i was taking classes as a nutritionist because it's what she demanded and when she passed and i was sitting in that organic chemistry class like what is this guy talking about stick formations and and did i miss a class did i miss eight sessions what what happened here and i changed my major so different dreams. I started living the life that the career that Odell wanted, not going to school for my mother.
1: And what did you change your major to? You remember?
0: Food and nutrition instead of nutrition and dietetics, which meant I didn't have to take organic chemistry.
1: (laughs) So you essentially made it easier. (laughs) Yes
0: no that. organic everything else was going to stay the same I had been in school for four years now and i'm like oh i'm getting i'm done and i just took off the science it's amazing
1: that's funny that is funny so chapter seven i that was funny chapter seven i turned into my mother <laughs> yeah. Well, you
0: know what that's like. You know, as as a young person, we never want to listen to our mother.
1: Right. You know,
0: our mothers are telling us, "My mother, sit up straight, eat your vegetables, keep a clean bathroom." Mm-hmm. You know, always pay your bills on time, and n- never live with a man, and and don't do this, and you know, we we, we talked about the the dream the parents. Take your you. And your husband's
1: plate. Yes. <laughs>
0: Fix your husband's plate and don't tell your business, keep things to yourself. Uh, You know, the whole nine yards. And it's like, yeah, 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 yeah. You hear it growing up. And then when I become a mother, I was saying the same things. And that's when I realized, oh my goodness, I turned into my mother.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And if you think about it for you, you know, all our mothers tell us things but we don't want to hear it because it means control so what about you when did you realize that you turned into your mother because i know you had to <laughs> of course i did
1: it was a couple there was a couple of times i when i've said something and i turn around and look like who just said that that couldn't, <laughs> that couldn't have been me and and then of course the old famous line which i said i was never oh what a horrible thing to say to a child i was never going to say this to my child because i
0: said so that's right,
1: right? that's
0: it. don't question me don't
1: question I said so. it. Yes. you just do it because i said so it. That's,
0: that's it <laughs> that's and the key. we didn't question our mothers we didn't have no. parents we did not ask them and that was it not out loud we didn't do it out loud we might've done it underneath our our breaths in another room at school with our friends, but definitely not someplace that she could hear. So that's when I realized that I turned into my mother. Me and my mother said, you know, get married, have children, don't have children out of wedlock. And I never knew why she was telling me that, Mm -hmm. but I'm not going to spoil it. When you read the book, you'll see why she was telling me that and then when my daughter has a child out of wedlock i'm like i didn't teach you that (laughs) where'd you learn that from and god said knock knock need to have a conversation with you and it was like ooh, okay Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so so yes i had turned into my mother but i realized that i had to shift
1: i think uh, there was another time when i recognized not so much that i turned into my mother that um, I, I was actually in church one Sunday, and um, Donna, who does not—the pastor's wife—who does not like to be called the first lady—but she, yeah. she um, always sits up front. And that this time, my daughter was very small, like five years old, and of course, she sees Donna coming into the narthex and runs up to her, and and uh, wants to sit with her. And I'm like, no, not in the front. <laughs> That's all I'm thinking. Like, no, not in the front. We're not trained to sit in the front. Yet you know and and Donna very gently passed my hand and says I got her I got her but of course I couldn't just let go I had to go sit with them right, right? and yes. the entire time I'm like sweating like please please don't
0: say her. anything don't do anything <laughs> don't be extra i know but
1: That's- i at that time we were we were standing up and i looked down at my hand and i said i see my mother's hand that's who was there. And so I think she was there (laughs) to be with me to say, okay, it's all right. Cause if Donna doesn't have her, I have her too. So I'm on the other side. Right. But it was, I recognized her hand when I looked at my hand and it was such a comfort. And I think that happens to us sometimes, right? We need that comfort to be able to just get through a situation sometimes.
0: Yeah. And I, you know, going through this, my, definitely my parents were here um was with me helping me jackie tells the story that when i was in a coma that i she said oh she's talking to john and when i woke up she said see john sent her back (laughs) (laughs) john was like nah you gotta go back Mm. so um so yes i they my parents definitely
1: So I noticed also in your book that each chapter begins with interruption and then a title. Why was that done?
0: Marketing, uh, my publisher. Uh, I did the first one, interruptions, title name. Second one, interruptions, title name. And then I just did, I forgot where chapter three, four, five, six was because I had, you know, edit this book. and and sections Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so we had to clean it up she says okay here's a chapter title this is read this and give it a chapter title read this give it a chapter title so it just became consistently in terms of how it's done so you
1: didn't when you were writing you didn't write in order so you you might have started with chapter six and then not knowing it was chapter six you didn't write chapter one chapter two
0: you didn't do it that way I did. That was the only way that I could write it was conceptually time frame. Mm-hmm. And of course, there was overlap as I was writing because I forgot stories and had to take stories out. Mm-hmm. And so yes, I did, because I had a timeline in front of me of what to talk about what should be in which chapter, but we ended up moving chapters around renaming chapters and okay. deleting chapters. But no, I did write it cons- consecutively.
1: So that happens kind of with our podcast too, right? We we flush it out first and then
0: come <laughs> up. You come yes. up with the title after. <laughs> yep. We never have a title for our podcast until we meet. And I go, oh yeah, this is what we're going to call it. And you go, I like that. And that's that's right.
1: <laughs> so I don't. I want to share the rest of the story, but the readers will know what took place. What, if anything, if anything, and I would say the whole thing, but the the most difficult part of writing this book, what was that for you?
0: Difficult part, two. it was two difficult parts and the reliving the night of the traumatic interruption and talking about how I felt my therapist read that section and challenged me to go back she said that's not what you said that's not what you wanted this is what you said this is what you wanted so I had to go back and write it and relive it but I found myself not able to write it but I could speak it so I would go into word and I would speak it and I could speak emotions more so than I forgot how to spell agony or frustration or you know with tense emotion in my voice i couldn't write it but i could say you know i could say it so that piece was difficult and i was divorced at the time as you read it and then having to go back and say how i fell in love with my husband
1: (laughs) but you're not better
0: right i'm like what she says oh damn you got to go back and let the readers know you know how you fell in love and i was like i ain't bam turn the computer off i'm like i'm not writing that that's that that that, that, that 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 and i and she challenged me to do that and then i had to talk about my relationship with my father very differently and that was encouraging but the piece that was also challenging is that i kept I, of course, why well, have a story of my high school years and my early childhood with nobody that I'm dating? You know, no steady boyfriend in the picture. Who did you fall in love with before the husband? Who did you date? I had those guys in there, but my friend Angel said, Your sorority sister said, take them out. Take them all out. Take out every story of anybody you dated. And as she was reading it, she goes, that story didn't happen with him. It happened with him and they're both alive. So you don't want to do that. So, and plus I was with you. So, (laughs) you know, so I took them all out and said, no stories of dating, uh, because I couldn't keep, I couldn't remember Mm -hmm. who I dated and went to a prom with and who I was seeing at this time. Not that it was a lot of guys but it didn't matter um she said take them out and i took them out
1: mm-hmm. it, it had nothing to do with your your life journey now
0: no yeah. just so the only love interest in the in the book is my husband
1: mm-hmm. so was there a ritual that you had when you had to sit and write because you know like total Different comparison, but this is how I compare things. So I compare everything in life to a diet, or I compare <laughs> everything at, that you do to working out. And so before you work out, you have to warm up, right? Yes. So, was there a warm up that you had to do before you actually sat down to write this story?
0: I did. I had a chair in my office that was my son's favorite chair. And I found myself sitting in that chair, praying for God to send me a place that I could start writing. But meanwhile, I'm in the chair praying and writing. And then I realized that this is where God wants me. And if I wasn't in the chair, I was sitting on the futon in my room That is was my son's. Mm-hmm. I was either in the chair or, or on the futon. Those are the only two places that I could sit And then i realized that i was sitting with my son i was sitting in his memory and Mm. i prayed and had a 20-minute timer shut it off after 20 minutes walked away
1: that's beautiful and and you set a time limit for yourself so you knew that that was
0: i would get a headache and and my brain would really like reset itself and it's like what was i talking about and i had to go back and read again what i wrote so there was a lot of overlaps and some dates people still say yeah your timeline's not right mm-hmm. i said but the story is correct mm-hmm. <laughs> may not have happened there but it happened so you wrote
1: the book yes um and you finished that and then from that was birth your workbook so yes. i don't know when you found time i still can't get it right right here. Okay. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um,
1: so, what was the catalyst for that? Why the workbook?
0: The workbook was something that was, you know, divine intervention. I found myself having, because we're in the pandemic, no one's going anywhere. So, people are talking to me about the production and the book, and they're asking me questions, and I'm answering questions about mental health behaviors, and, you know, emotional wellness, how I was doing, how I got through it. And then we're deep into the pandemic, longer than we expected. And I needed to, honestly, you know, God said, do something. You know, I'm like, God, what do you want me to do? He says, write a workbook, you know? So it was my way of, for me, proving that I was still relevant, Mm -hmm. that I had some self-worth because I could not imagine waking up every morning and watching Andy Griffin again at 10 o'clock in the morning, Mm -hmm. or watching another sitcom. So this was my way of being obedient to the will and saying, let's try this. So I'm writing a workbook that I've never tried to to write a book from scratch before. And that was a six month to a year process. Mm Yeah. So looking, looking
1: back, um, I know, I know that we are going to really delve into the workbook a little bit more as we go forward on our podcast. And I'm going to have you share some of the upcoming podcasts with our audience, but what is it? Because this is, this is a, a normal question, right? That what is it that you want people really to get out of your book interruptions?
0: to recognize behaviors that are not healthy in themselves or in others that they're with, to recognize them and not dismiss them as toxic or renaming them, but recognizing them for what they are and to realize that we as an individual deserve to be happy, to be healthy and to be free. And what does that look like? Happiness looks different to everybody. And everybody has to find their own path to being happy, not just sad, because we're dealing with traumatic grief. You know, we say, oh, I don't want to take the medicine. Oh, I don't want to go to counseling. I don't want to talk to anybody about my pain, but yet we're living in such a weight of heaviness and trauma that we're doing damage to ourselves and to other relationships. And if you can recognize those behaviors, Name it. You now know what it is. Try to say, is this helping me to heal? Why won't I go to a counselor? Why won't I take medication? Mm -hmm. You know, what has changed in my relationship? What needs to change in me to be able to feel happy? What does happy feel like? And that's something that we forget that it's okay to take care of ourselves and to be happy. And that's what I want people to do. Find their own path towards healing and having happiness. And it looks different for everybody. But we first have to recognize these behaviors because trauma and traumatic grief, I've I've learned the difference that when it's traumatic and your body is dealing with PTSD, it's biological. Mm -hmm. You can come to my house and make sure you talked me down and I was eating at the table and I looked fine. But on the inside, my body is exploding of anger and anxiety and depression and the need for alcoholism and suicidal ideation. You can't see that. Mm -hmm. But I had behaviors that showed you something was going on with Odell that wasn't the same. Mm -hmm. And if you can recognize those behaviors, then you can try to help someone or try to want to help yourself.
1: So someone from the outside looking in would say she's she's happy now so she has to be over her grief.
0: She's all better. She's gotten through it. How That's would you the, respond? People say time heals all wounds and I've learned to say time doesn't heal the wounds. It just allows me to deal with it day-to-day a little better. People look at me and assume that I'm fine. She's her normal self. I still, I have, um, my my, my therapist has me concentrated on things that don't say what you can't do. But I have restrictions because of the handicap that I can't do. Can't drive longer than an, an hour and a half. I can't drive in the rain. Can't drive at night. And some people say you couldn't drive anyway. <laughs> but <laughs> you know, but I, I I can't do the I, I can't go to uh, a birthday party where there's loud music, mm-hmm. and social social I can't I can't bowl. I can't do any of the things that I used to do. Mm-hmm. I have to now do things differently. I can't travel by myself. I have to travel with someone. And I still can't be on a computer longer than two hours in my office and I have to shut down because of overstimulation and the life that I had I will never be able to go back to it because I can't work and do what I I can't be the Odell pre the aneurysm so I've had to re re totally reinvent myself
1: so I the the two questions that I love that we do um ask our guests, I'm going to ask you. One of the things um, that we, you and I have talked about before is the fact um, and you talked, you answered this, but are you going to answer it differently now because you're in a different place that um, you're out, you're having a good time, you're out for dinner, you're chill, and then all of a sudden someone comes up to you and you have to take the Odell hat off because you notice that the conversation is leaning towards something else, that it requires you to now be Reverend O. Now, prior to, you dealt with that prior to your loss. How is that different now? Because now I think that that conversations that people may feel free to have with you now are dealing with their sense of loss. Yes. And so how how do you how do you deal with that and and especially if you're kind of an out and it's not necessarily always conducive to having that type of conversation and so how do you deal with
0: that I good question and I deal with it more immediately because I know that the traumatic grief is devastating so if someone has the I need to talk to you I know this I see you're out having fun with your friends but this is what's going on with me we have a conversation mm-hmm. and I need to find out you know you, you know I don't ask you know I, I let them tell me whatever they want to share but it becomes I- immediately and we exchange phone numbers so that we can talk later but it gets my immediate attention so the Odell that I was, you know, because Odell before was probably having a glass of wine. <laughs> you know, and
1: may have been then, right? <laughs> and, you know,
0: so now it's like, oh, you don't want to talk to me now. I'm I'm having a good, well, mm-hmm. now God said, I got you. Now you can't drink wine. So go talk to people so
1: <laughs> <laughs> Okay. So my, my last question for you, you've been an awesome guest. Thank you so much. Oh, um, <laughs> so, I just but my last question for you is how now prior to everything that you've been through how now do you practice self-care does it look different for you now
0: self-care looks different of going to the gym and moving my body and eventually we're going to resume tai chi we had shirley on as our guest Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. i'm going to resume tai chi and I really, really enjoy being in my room listening to Donnie McClurkin with the candle lit and nothing else. No television, no sitcoms, just quiet. And I could stay in my room and listen to it. And that becomes so peaceful for me before I start my day.
1: That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Well. Thank you, as I said, for being a wonderful guest. (laughs) Thank you for having me. (laughs) And I know that you're going to talk a little bit about to our audience, a little bit about our upcoming podcast.
0: Yes. So Kathy and I, Coach Kathy and I, when we started strategizing the next couple of weeks before the Let's Talk workbook starts and it starts getting marketed, it's going to be marketing coming up in the next couple of days. So they'll be seeing it on social media and people will be able to sign up through my website to attend training and that we're gonna be training people, training people to teach the material. We're gonna have guests from the book. So we have uh, the godfather, Jackie's godfather, Tony, who showed up at Pratt. So Pratt all the way through the uh, duration. My niece, Nichelle, who is in the picture, she's in the book as well, and Jerome. Jerome Peters. Jerome was the guy, the first Greek Omega guy that I met at Howard University and was intimidated by this guy in my class. And there's uh, a story of Jerome Peters in my book. And he, we've actually made contact. He gave me permission to use his full name. And I signed a book and sent it to him. So he's reading the book now. <laughs> He's reading the book, and he says, I would love to be your guest on your show.
1: Oh, wonderful.
0: So, and for him, he didn't know anything about me. So all this is new, and he definitely didn't know what I was thinking about him.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I think I am going to be the moderator for that night. (laughs) Because I'll be laughing, or you'll be laughing. Oh, yes. Yes. Oh, that's wonderful. I'm excited. I am yes. excited. So, to our audience, I just want to say what Odell and I try to do is expose that a life interruption can sometimes be traumatic or just an interruption of our life that can be temporary or permanent, but it doesn't have to keep us there. It's on our perspective of life. We will continue to discuss the impact of trauma and how a moment in time can alter your planned journey, but we'll also discuss that there's a time where we need to move forward and heal. As you heard Odell really uh, get personal and up close with us uh, in this podcast. Our podcasts always are for anyone who needs to hear the message, so we ask you to please like and subscribe subscribe to our podcast. And speaking of a message, Odell just remind our viewers of the training course that they can bring to their community and their groups. If you want to talk about that for a minute.
0: Well, uh, the let's talk training program is going to launch next month. We're doing the Train the trainers and the training is free. You're just paying for the resources and they go through a two and a half day of virtual training. They learn how to teach the workbook. They go back to their community, their organization, their church, and they deliver this training material that we taught them how to use. So that's what we're doing, Train the Trainers. And it's going to launch soon and I'm excited about it.
1: I am too, I am too. So thank you so much again. Um, I know it is not easy. Uh, you had a difficult journey, but I thank you for being so open with us and sharing your story because I have witnessed how you doing so has helped other people to, um, if, if not yet reaching their point of healing, but they are on that journey. And so, um, again, always thank you for being who you are.
0: Thank you for having me. <laughs>